He taught me, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. To infinity and beyond! No crying? There's no crying in baseball! Hello, everybody, and welcome to your favorite podcast, Know Your Cinema. I am joined with me, as always, by my co-host, Devlin Clemens. Hello. And Vivin Matthews. Hey, guys. Uh, if I hadn't already said my name, my name Matthews, is Jason Quinn. Uh, Matthews. Sorry, I was thinking Corey. I was thinking Corey Matthews. I've been watching a lot of Boy Meets World lately. Oh, okay. <clears throat> you know what? I'll I'll you definitely just called him Topanga at that point. I'll I'll I'll, I'll let that pass. <laughs> For okay. Boy Meets World, I'll let that pass. Um. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's not like I was like classifying you as as a as as a degenerate. You were you were part of the Matthews family. All right. Okay. So you you didn't you didn't go down the Hillary route. Thank you know you. that very popular, famous Matthews family from Southern India. Exactly. Yes, from the south. Yes, from the south. South. South, south India. Hey, hey. So don't, don't need to don't need to specify what south. It's the south. It's mm-hmm. the general south. Mm-hmm. To uh, to to redirect this back to what we're supposed to be talking. About. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We uh, we are talking about um, the movie Frailty tonight on the on the show. Indeed, uh, this is a movie that I honestly would not be shocked to. This is a movie that I'm not shocked when anybody's like, "Oh yeah, I've never heard or heard of or seen this movie." Um, mm-hmm. So, if you have not seen the movie, uh, before we do get into it, uh, I want to make sure that you either have committed to never watching this movie or you should watch the movie and then listen to this podcast because um, it is a movie that you should see before you hear the discussion about it because we are, we are not spoiler free here. And if, uh, if you watch the movie beforehand, you might be disappointed that you didn't uh, find that information. We are like a broken cooler at Walmart. It is spoils here. All spoils. Um, so before we get into the the discussion, just real super quick, this is what our thirty seventh episode. That's correct. This ep- we've got as many episodes as I am old. Okay, there we old go. Coming fun. of age. <laughs> um. So we're like a we're like a fine wine at this point. Yeah, um, yeah, wine. We'll, we'll go with that. Um, so anyway, uh, we've got a number of other episodes covering over 50 movies um, on this podcast. If you would love to hear, we would love for you to check out any of those, scroll through them, see if there's any of those movies appeal to you. And, uh, you know, let us know what you think. And the best way to let us know what you think about 
our podcast and our discussions on them is through our social medias. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash KYC podcast on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at KYC podcast. We are a very talkative bunch. So if you respond, if you message us, you should probably expect a response within the day. Um, somebody's going to reach back out to you within a day of, of you messaging us. So, <laughs> um, so please reach out, to us, reach out to us, ask us questions, tell us to go fuck ourselves, whatever it is you want to do. We encourage you to tell us to go fuck ourselves. This is true. We'll get to that. But without any further ado, I feel like we've rambled on long enough. It's time to get to the meat and potatoes of this episode, which is our discussion on frailty. Uh, Devlin, I feel like I've talked enough. Why don't you go first on this? Because uh, Vivian has never seen this movie, so I think maybe you should take the floor. No, absolutely. I will take the floor. Um, so as in previous episodes, I discussed how someone brought this movie to my attention. They knew how... I had an affinity for horror movies and thriller movies um, and crime, you know, crime drama, so to speak. So this kind of encompasses a lot of that in little bits and pieces. But I I'd never heard of it. Like, it, I don't even think it even crossed, like, you know, the path of, like, seeing a trailer for it on TV um, or even seeing it in, like, Blockbuster at the time. Uh, but someone said, hey, you have to you have to watch this movie. So. I tracked it down in Blockbuster and watched it, and I remember just being completely blown away by this movie, the story. Hey, real, real quick, Go real ahead. quick, just for everybody else that's listening to this podcast that might not be of our current age range, Blockbuster was this place where you could go, and you could, uh, you you would they had a bunch of movies there, and you could just take them. <laughs> and you pay money and you take them for a little period of time, and then they charge you a lot of money if you didn't get it back on time. Well, why didn't you just stream it? I don't, I don't get it, Jason. Yeah, they didn't have streaming back then. Given. It was before streaming and Redbox. Oh, see, Think look, of it like a Redbox, but like bigger. I'll one up it. So in my day, you had to go to a video rental place that also was a, had a tanning salon in it, and to rent movies. It, there was no Blockbuster in my town, so there. That's not in your day. That's in your small ass town. Right. <laughs> right. I'm like, I, that might be a special case. No, I mean, it was literally everywhere. Like, every place down there had, like, a, there, there was a tanning salon. There was a video rental store in there, too. I don't know why, but it was. Anyways, back on track. So, um, I, I remember watching this movie and just being completely, like, blown away by it. the story, the 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 world building um the characters i mean just a little bit of everything for this movie just really just drawed me into it and i was kind of just sitting on the edge of my seat for the for the whole thing the first time around i watched it uh i hadn't watched it in a, it had to be a few years i hadn't watched it until the other day and it did the same exact thing to me again i'm like i already know everything that's going on in this movie now why the hell am i all intrigued by it? And I think the reason why is because I was looking for little things in, within this movie that would that were telling the story. And one of the things that I caught on to um, was Matthew McConaughey's character uh, in the beginning of the movie when um, the uh, character of uh, Agent Doyle uh, went to shake his hand initially coming into the room. 
uh, Matthew McConaughey didn't shake his hand. And then when Matthew McConaughey's character was handcuffed and put in the car, he refused to let him put his hand on his head to help him in the car. So it was just kind of little things that I was looking for. And I mean, that all, that all gets built into the, um, the, uh, the plot line of the movie. Um, but I kept like just being enthralled about this, the story and, and, looking for other things within the story and tells and everything else. And it, it just, it drawed me in again. It, it, for some reason, this is one of those movies that just brings me in every time. Um, and I, and I've watched it three or four times and I hadn't watched it in so long. It just did it again. So, uh, I, I, I really can't put over this movie enough and I'm trying not to reveal anything too much within the movie. Um, just cause I'm not trying to be too spoiler friendly, uh, on this podcast with this, but, Anybody who has a chance to watch Frailty, please sit down and do so. It is a, a very underrated movie in its own right. Uh, Jason, I'll, I'll give you the floor now, sir. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it had been a while since I've seen it. I've only ever seen this movie one other time. I remembered the gist of what was going on in the movie, but... I didn't really, it took me a little, it took me a little bit of the movie to remember like fully, like for everything to kind of come back and be like, oh yeah, that's right. But uh, it's funny because like I watched, I rented this through Redbox's streaming service, which their customer service was trash, but that's a story from another day. <laughs> um, and uh, so I rented it through their streaming service and on there they had a, a little button that says trailer. So I clicked the trailer because I had already seen the movie and I was watching it with some other people and I wanted to make sure that, you know, it was something that they wanted to watch or I could watch it at a different time by myself, whatever. And the only thing that it shows in the red box version of the trailer, it wasn't an actual trailer is just the beginning scene where he's sitting in his office and he tells him that it's his brother is the God's hand killer. It's very beginning of the movie. Literally first five minutes, so I'm not spoiling anything, right? Right. And I remember I looked I looked over at Skyland, my girlfriend, and then her grandma who's been staying with us because we just had a baby. And so she's she was here so that uh, we could go to the hospital together and she watched the rest of our kids. But I looked over at them and I'm like, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm fucking fully in. Like, I'm so sold after like a minute and 30 seconds of this movie, I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait to figure out what's all happening. And like, even though I kind of knew, like there was still so much of me that was just so drug into it by just that short minute and a half in the beginning. And for, for it to catch you so quickly in the beginning, I thought that was just amazing. And then I feel like this story, this movie does such a great job of telling a very dark, twisted and violent story while still maintaining like fucking no blood and gore. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I think that that was, that is what really appeals to me for this is because I love horror movies, but I'm not like a huge fan of what I, I refer to as gore movies, which, you know, like your saws and things like that. Like I like, I like the, you know, the, the psychological aspects of it, mm. but I'm not really in it for the huge blood and guts. That doesn't really appeal to me. I like the, I like the the mess with your mind kind of stuff. Makes you use your you imagination know? as to what happened. And, mm-hmm. 
I, exactly. And I think that that's brilliant. Yeah, it really is. Um, to, to, to kind of piggyback off your trailer point, I, I, I've always had a problem with trailers revealing too much. And I've seen the trailer for Frailty. And it's one of those trailers that's like almost the perfect trailer when you're trying to sell a movie of this caliber. And that might have been why it didn't do so well is because some people might not have piqued their interest enough because it doesn't give away a lot. It just kind of like leads you in a direction like, like what's going on? What's the mystery behind this particular movie? So I'm always a big fan of trailers that never really give anything away. And that makes me want to go see them where I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. Like I want to go watch this movie now. Okay, cool. I really like trailers that give away like plot lines and scenes and funny anecdotes and anecdotes in in the trailer because I'm like, oh, you just ruined like you did like the best scenes in the trailer. So now I'm like, I'm gonna go to the movie and be like, oh, this isn't funny. I've already seen this. I've already seen this bit. So you didn't like uh, Rise of Skywalker? Rise of Skywalker? You didn't you you didn't like uh, Rise of Skywalker? You mean at the end when you know you hear Palpatine's voice? (laughs) I mean, you pretty much gave it away. Uh, you mean when they gave it away in the trailer that yes. Palpatine's going to be in the movie? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we already knew, but like, we, we, I think all of us didn't think that it was going to be immediately in the fucking first 10 minutes of this movie that we were going to get Palpatine. We were going to get maybe the surprise at the end, or maybe that was a cut scene. Maybe they cut all of it out and they're just fucking with your mind. No. Right in the yellow and yeah, like, writing because they are it is Disney, so you know how Marvel sometimes will some of the trailer scenes for Marvel like Avenger movies aren't actually in the movie and they're just there to fuck with you. Could have even been a dream sequence for for Ray. Could right. have been anything, but no, we're just gonna give it away right in the black and yellow writing in the scroll. <laughs> Fucking JJ Abrams. Fucking I hope you listen to this JJ Abrams movie. Anyways, we're off track again. Um but yeah, no, Jason, I agree. I agree with you about the trailer, um, and and how the movie really draws you in from the beginning because it doesn't really give you a whole lot of anything. You're just kind of following the story and listening, and you're, it's really good about how it does that. But I digress to the man of the hour, Vivin Matthew, the man who had not seen this movie. Vivin, the floor is yours, sir. What did you think of Frailty? Oh man, it was not your guys's experience. Um, I will call it unique. So I was looking forward to watching this movie because obviously I've heard a lot of it from both of you, especially you, Devlin. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as I started the movie, things were not... So I was trying to be objective with this movie. Um, But there was things that I was picking up. I was like, this is not lining up for me. Uh, One of the first things that was kind of that kept bugging the back of my mind was I I wish they had reversed the roles. I wish that McConaughey was playing the father and, and uh, Paxton was playing uh, the, uh, the son. I understand there's an age difference, but as far as just how their personas are, and I know what, uh, what McConaughey is capable of, especially of his later work. I know how dark he can get so and so that was my framing of the movie i was like okay this is going a certain direction i know where it's trying to go with the movie and then even like about 20 to 30 minutes into the movie i turn uh i turn to beth and i go 
wait, hold on. Could this be a movie where McConaughey turns out to be the actually the other person, uh, which is I think Adam and sorry, I, I, my response is going to be fully spoiler. So if somebody hasn't watched the movie, uh, stop right now and watch the movie before you come back and listen to this part. Um, so, and now I wasn't sure if that was going to be the case, but it really felt like the setup was going to go in that direction. And that it kept going, flipping back and forth and uh, between him telling the story and then little things like, well, why is the cop going by himself with uh, McConaughey? That doesn't make any sense to me. Or why is, um, if this is a story told from McConaughey's perspective, who does not believe uh, what, what, uh, what, the father, what the father had done, that he was just plain just crazy, then why is it showing it like, why are they actually showing the imagery of like, for example, the angel coming in with the sword and all of that, like that, it should not be framed that way. So I had all these issues that was leading up and I start to kind of eventually kind of, you know, settle into the story. I got, I got caught up in the story. The story works and it gets all the way right to the end. And the last I think five to 10 minutes completely changed my opinion on the movie because I suddenly got, Oh, why Bill Paxton did what he did. I was like, Oh, okay. I was quote unquote, right about uh, McConaughey being the other person, but that was okay. I was, um, that was a cool twist. And you know, uh, the fact that I figured that out was, uh, you know, probably because I watched too many movies. It had the usual suspects vibe and a couple other movies that I've seen. But I think the better twist was when you find out that, it's for real. me, the better twist was when I find out that the father was actually seeing demons, mm-hmm. uh, a.k.a. people who had done horrifying things. And so he was really killing people, a.k.a. demons that were, you know, Dexter-style, just like uh, it's. Uh, uh, he was really seeing visions. And... That twist, and then that also made sense as to why the cop was willing to go by himself because uh, because of his own past. So all everything lined up for me in the last five minutes, and suddenly I was like, okay, I get the movie. It all makes sense. I understand why Paxton directed the way he did, why he ca- did the casting the way he did. Because in the end, you do want the uh, father to be a more of a sympathetic character, and Bill Paxton perfectly embodies that type of uh, that type of persona. So great experience right at the end, and retroactively, it made the whole movie work for me. Now, has a movie ever done that for you before? No, that was, and that's why I said it was a unique experience because I was, I started out being frustrated with the movie. I was like, "Oh, why is Bill doing it this way? Why does he not know that? I know he, the the father, is the juicier bit, but he should know McConaughey would play the better father, and he's also from Texas. So I was like, basically." Uh, being judgmental of all the directorial decisions that he was making throughout the film. And I was like, the inner critic in me was like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And the last, literally the last, when he does the twist, the twist basically explains every decision he made throughout what, why he did what he did as a storyteller. Yeah. And I think that's a, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that he did. And and I understand your frustration with, with that because when i when i first watched it the story like i said the story pulled me in but it also yeah. at the same time i'm like where is it leading where, where am i going down this path like what is this leading to yeah I, I don't know where this is leading to 
and and that was that was my the first time I watched it. My biggest frustration with it, so I understood. And then when you get to that last five to ten minutes, and, and you get not one, not you actually get like four twists in that in that plot. Because you, you do, get, you're right, you do. <laughs> you get like you get a you know it's Matthew McConaughey is the younger brother. Mm-hmm. B you get that the God's hand like it's he's not really a killer. He's really a, 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 a disciple of God and in the hand of God, so to speak, killing killing demons. And you also get the fact that the wife, the that his wife, when the cop called the sheriff's department, cover for him, so she knows. Yeah, and you also get the, you get the twist that his older brother was actually an, a legitimate killer, and Matthew McConaughey had to kill his own brother. So you get a lot of plot twists right there at the end. And I think not only that, but you also get that the FBI agent really murdered yeah, his fucking so you mother. Get like five plot twists Ooh. right there at the end of the movie, and and it I, it's like I've never seen so many plot twists. Like the story we were listening to is just bullshit, and then bang, we get that there. But we got the just of the story because it, it's being told correctly, but it's being told from a perspective that is false. If that makes sense, yeah. And uh, I can think of one other movie, but besides that, it's very rare that a movie can pull off plot. I mean, let alone one plot twist. This had four, uh, but so many plot twists, and all of them make the movie that much better. Usually, you you see the plot twist at the end. You're like, uh, okay, I mean, I that was a cool twist, but now the rest of the movie doesn't really make any sense to me. Here, it's the exact opposite. The whole movie is like a perfect puzzle. Like that is the last. Peace. It's the key that makes everything else work. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I I agree one hundred percent with 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 your analysis of it. I because I can understand where your frustration would lie, because it, with you being the the cinephile that you are, um, it 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 was. I knew I knew this movie was gonna either a you're gonna figure it out pretty quickly. Or B, you think you're going to figure it out pretty quickly and you're going to be frustrated through the whole damn thing and be like, what the yeah. fuck is going on? <laughs> well, I the knew, other... I knew, that, I knew that twist at the end would, would get you. I knew it would be like, that would make up for everything else you'd went through because hey, you were right. the same exact feeling that I had was like, I, at that point, you're like, who do you, who do you, who are you rooting for? Yeah. And well, the other thing that was irking me was I genuinely love Bill Paxton. I mean, he's been in some of my favorite movies. And I was like, dude, I don't want to watch his first movie that he directed and be hating on it. And that was also kind of really kind of upsetting me. I was like, I should not be so judgmental. I'm trying my hardest not to be judgmental about this movie. It is a Bill Paxton movie. I should be just... and But again, he came through in spades by the end. Yeah, I think I think one of the, the best things about him acting is that he he comes off as such a lovable father in the beginning and we only get a little glimpse of it but you still feel like he's a very he's a single dad and he's very lovable and then there's like it it feels like a dark turn yeah and like he's just lost it and now he's dragging his kids down and in reality at the end you're like holy shit like he he really was seeing this shit and his son could see this shit and then that the whole big reveal yeah jason it is. It, it is. <clears throat> it is. It is a. It is a movie 
that is, in my opinion, like no other that I've ever seen in any, like it's hard to compare it to any other movie because of the way that it manipulates your perspective on each of the characters that are in this movie, the way that it is able to tell a story that I feel like almost, I mean, in my mind, I guess, and and I I think because it's in my mind that most of the, the violence takes place because of that, the movie feels so incredibly violent by, and and shows almost none of it. And that to me was like, I don't know. You just don't see that very often where a movie can be, just so dark, so twisted, so violent and, and, and show none of that violence and then still be compelling. And I don't know, man, I, I was so fucking blown away by this movie watching it this time. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's, I remember loving it as a child, basically when I watched it. Cause I think I watched it when it came out. <clears throat> um, like I remember, I think we picked it up from like blockbuster probably. And uh, I remember loving it then and then watching it as an adult and like fully appreciating cinema the way that I do and the knowing how it all comes together and just the, the act, like you said, the acting between, you know, Bill Paxton has this knack for the whole time. Like even when you feel, even when there's some part of you in the narrative that makes you feel like you should be hating him because he put his fucking kid in a in a cellar and stuff like that even even when that type of shit goes on there's some part of you that can see that there's true love in his eyes when he looks at his son even though he's putting him through hell and it's almost as if the things that he's putting his kid through hurt him far more than than what his kid is being hurt by these things and i don't know to me that was incredible but then it i mean i guess in that same breath, it it, uh, it makes you wonder why you know he was able to like from a from an, a psychological standpoint was the were the if the visions were real and this kid was meant to grow up to be a demon, don't you think that the actions that his dad chose? led him on that, you know, to further that path rather than, you know, sideswipe it. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's it's just, I don't know. To me, it was just like, it's so brilliant because it's like he, he in, in the, in the dark side of it is he's training his kid how to murder, dismantle and bury people uh, for like his, <laughs> during his childhood. So then when he does grow up to murder dismantle people it just he he learned that from his dad even though his dad was trying to do the right thing but is his dad doing the right thing what actually led him down the path of doing the wrong thing so i don't know just little things like that just kind of bounce back and forth with me and i feel like when a movie when you can walk away from a movie and be like oh i really enjoyed that and then that movie sticks with you and makes you think and and like resonates like just hard inside of you <clears throat> poor choice of words. <clears throat> I just, I don't know, man. I, I just love that. And I, I feel like this movie just crushes that. Yeah. No, Sorry. no, that's, that, that, that was beautifully <laughs> put. And 
when you highlighted how Bill Paxton was still at some level communicating, feeling like a sympathetic character to the audience, even when he was locking his son up essentially in a dungeon. At that point in the movie, especially viewing it the first time, I'm like, he's playing this role all wrong. I'm supposed to be hating him. Why is he... Why is it still coming off where I'm feeling still a little bit of empathy for him? Obviously, it all makes sense at the end. And then the... Well, there's that there's that pivotal... I don't want to cut you off, but there's that pivotal scene where he has to kill a sheriff. And he pukes. And he's so... Yeah. He's like... He's like you. He's like you. He's like look what you did. You made me kill somebody. And he's like, no, Dad, you've killed a lot. I've seen you kill people. And he's like, those were demons. And it's like it shows, it it shows like, like almost it's almost like your mind wants you to think like he really is crazy <clears throat> because he's killed people. And then like you're led to believe that you know he's seeing visions of demons because he puts his hands on them. But you know we don't know that until the end. So. It's a very good way of like keeping with the theme in the, right in the middle of the movie. Yeah. Well, typically, I mean, in a movie like this, I think they were using our expectations against us, especially the first time you watch it. Typically, if there's a crazy character, obviously the character is crazy. And, you know, you have the protagonist who, in this case, is McConaughey, who's going to basically, you know, triumph at the end. But here it was reversing that. It was like, no, 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 he's not crazy. He was just seeing something the rest of us wasn't, right? And it made me kind of, you know, uh, for Jason, it was kind of registering on a psychological level. Like, could he have uh, doomed his son by actually killing those people because he was not seeing that it was demons being killed, right? That's a great, really kind of deep thought um, that the movie registers. The other thing that I was thinking about was, like, I know personally somebody who has been through schizophrenia and... I sometimes just think about what, well, how is the world like, is it for, for that person? It's all of us who are just not seeing it. And it is clear as day, everything that they are witnessing. Right. And I always wonder like how that, that kind of two worlds that's like simultaneously taking place where one person is seeing a completely different universe. And then, you're sitting right next to them and you see none of it, right? And uh, every once in a while, I, was, I would like question myself, like, oh, well, I mean, you know, is it possible? I mean, obviously you come to your senses and be rational, but I mean, this movie kind of really uh, takes that notion to its uh, ultimate conclusion. And I feel like there's only, to me, there's only one scene in it. <clears throat> The only scene that I feel like you could argue is not the like so Adam, who's McConaughey in the end of this movie, is is you know his has received his father's gift, right? Yeah, and he he is protected by God, and he mentions that yeah. right. But the <clears throat> at that point, there's still a part of you that's like, well, maybe. He's still fucking crazy. <laughs> right. right? Like maybe all of the stuff that even he sees with the FBI agent and all of that, maybe that's just his own rationalization of him killing right. people. You know what I mean? Maybe that's all in right. his head. It's not until there's a scene like after just after that, where the the one guy that's the receptionist guy walks into the, the sheriff's office and sees him there and doesn't recognize him at all 
That's the only part of this movie that leads you to believe that everything is legit. Well, he literally says there's his oh. face was blurred to me. I couldn't, I could not recognize his face. His face was blurred. I was like, okay, that is like literal, like a line from like some biblical passage. Like, uh, and then when the screen it blurs out when he walks through, it's yeah. He literally meant God is going to protect him no matter where he's at. Yeah, I I feel like the the little details that they do with that because they could have easily, like, they could have made a a halfway decent movie and ended it right when you find out that the FBI agent killed his mom and then he kills that guy. You could have ended it right there and made a halfway decent, pretty damn good mm-hmm. movie. Adding those couple of extra scenes <clears throat> that flesh out the fact that the girl that was at the sheriff's station knew all about everything that was uh-huh. going on and was his his you know wife or girlfriend uh-huh. whatever and then the fact that they show the blurring of the the camera footage and things like that i feel like it definitely changes the movie even more because had we cut it had we cut it right after he killed that guy we could have had a regular decent movie it would have been not quite as good as what we got but it would have been pretty decent <clears throat> But I feel like that little juiciness yeah. is what really propels it even yeah, further. Uh, how I read that uh, is up until you get to the uh, the office the next day where you're watching the footage and then the FBI agent is going to the the town to meet the sheriff, all those scenes are suddenly all scenes that are objective. Meaning up until before that, you're hearing the story from McConaughey's perspective. So... Technically, if the movie had ended right after that, like you said, we could make an argument saying, well, it could still all be just uh, McConaughey's character, Adam's perception. You know, who's to say that's not just his subjective experience? But the movie makes it 100% clear by following the next scene. And the next scene has nothing to do with with Adam's character. This is an objective scene that's happening, that the characters have no influence from, from McConaughey's character. And they... And then you see that how they are being influenced by what what happened the previous night, you know. So literally, the world, you know, what he, how McConaughey perceives the world is actually how the world is or that universe is. Well, there's one more telling thing in this scene is that he shakes his hand and he holds on to it and he says, "You're a good man." Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And the guy kind of like looks at him like. Like what? And like, kind of when he's leaving, he just kind of keeps looking back at him. Like, it, it's just a very, very different scene about how someone would say goodbye to someone. And and I think that you know because McConaughey can see, you know, and and see if he's a demon. Like it just like he almost like he's seen through him, and he kind of had that eerie feeling, but he didn't know what he was feeling. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's. I mean, he essentially has the gift of being able to, you know, tell apart good from evil, and he does not see the kind of evil. I mean, obviously, he's not going to be the list anytime soon. So, yeah, that makes sense. And the other thing is, like, before you get to that point, before you realize that it's all mm-hmm. legit, <clears throat> there's almost there's this there's this a part of the movie that you almost kind of question, like how is this dude finding these people to murder? Like why? Cause everybody, I mean, there's always a motive for any murder. You know what I mean? In this case, it was motivated by, you know, they were demons and 
you know, God was sending him to kill them. And that's cool. But before that, you, there's like a part, there's like that, that side of me that's like, okay, well, these kids didn't recognize any of these people. They're from like 45 minutes to an hour away a lot of the times. So how is he possibly finding these people to murder at all if he's not, you know, if and he has a whole list of these names. So it's not like he just brings home people and accuses them of being a demon. Like before he murdered any of these people, they were seven, there was a list of seven strangers that he was going to kill. So I felt like that was kind of like an interesting little part of it for me. Cause I'm like, okay, well how, why would he murder these people? You know what I mean? Like thinking at it from that, from that side before you get the reveals, like, well, why would he murder know, these? That's people? a good point. And then it's, it's not until you get to the scene where McConaughey is going to be killing his first person. Right. Yeah. Because every other time you see any of the people that are kidnapped, because there's just the girl and then the older guy, yeah. right? Well, there was one guy, but they didn't show uh, him get killed because it's when what uh, the the kid ran to the sheriff's station and then came back with the sheriff and there was nobody there. Oh, right, 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 right. You're right. Um, the fourth guy that they, so, when he killed his dad. Right. Um, but I was speaking specifically about the fourth guy. So it's not until that fourth guy with his, with, uh, where he's ready to, to, to make his first, you know, killing that you ever see any of the people do anything wrong. Right. And there's just like that little tinge of like, he calls the, the, his girlfriend, wife, whatever, like a fucking bitch and tells her to shut up. And then he has this like attitude about him that you're like, why? I don't know that this dude needs murdered, but he definitely needs an asshole. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah, it, it kind of makes you fall in love with like you're like, okay, I don't care if Bill Paxton kills this guy, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, so like that small part of you that's like, well, if you're gonna kill somebody, it might as well be this fucking guy, you know? Might as well. Um, so there's like up until that point, every other person that you're that is put before you as a person that's a demon it doesn't register at all as being something that would make any kind of sense. You just see these as sympathetic people. And it's not until that point, which is, you know, that pivotal person that you see any kind of difference between the people that are being murdered and, you know, just regular normal people. You know what yeah. I mean? And from a storytelling <laughs> perspective, that was brilliant because it threw you off completely, especially when you're watching it the first time of, ever suspecting that Bill could actually be seeing visions. Uh, you realize, like, man, these are like innocent people. And yeah, just the casting in that regard also is, is smart. <clears throat> yeah, it, it's, it's, it's very well done. I, 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 I'm Bill Paxton fucking crushed making this movie. Uh, both a directing and acting standpoint. And it's, and it's like you said, it's not until you finish the movie and you understand the entirety of what he was trying to do that you realize just how good of a job he did. But yeah. <laughs> he fucking crushed this movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like McConaughey did a great job. And you, I mean, I've said it on here before and you guys all know that I'm a big McConaughey fan. I absolutely love that dude. But to me, I feel like McConaughey's character could be played by other people and I wouldn't be mad because other people can play 
that kind of a, a role and get away with it, and it's not that big of a deal. And McConaughey is really young in this role, um, so he's not really as seasoned in his more dramatic roles at this point. So it could have been other people playing it, and we still would have gotten a decent movie. But Bill Paxton, on the other hand, crushes it. Like, I feel like he just has this way about him that makes you, even when he's doing the darkest of shit, you just are like, I kind of love him. <laughs> Paxton's, Paxton's got a wide range of acting chops. He he's done comedy. Um, he's 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 really good in Weird Science. Um, he's in the movie called True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh yeah, he plays a really he plays a really good character in there. He's in Tombstone. He plays one of the white or the Earth Brothers. Um, he's in Twister. I mean, he does a really good job. You're right, he is in showing- Twister. Yeah, so is uh, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. That's the first time I ever. You know what? That's the first. um, That's the first movie with him that I saw. Uh, Twister. Okay, I remember seeing that. Weird Science was the first one, and I didn't remember it till I went back and watched it. That that he was in there. I'm like, oh my god, it's Bill Paxton. You know, he's also in uh, Aliens. He's really good in that too. Yeah, he's in Aliens too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, he does a really good job of showing acting chops and and, re- and even in this one too, because he kind of had a, you know, the lead role and he's directing too. And it, you got to see a good range of, of, of what his acting skills can be because it, it like, again, like I said, the, the father character kind of draws you in and you're like, man, this dude's taking care of his kids. He's working hard. And then all of a sudden it's like it's like something tw- turns in him. Like he's had, he's had enough of working in these kids and like, you think he's going crazy. And right. And you're like, you, you want to hate him. And then, then like, there's a twist where you're like, God, he's still a loving father. Like what he's, he's like sitting on the couch, you know, with his kid watching TV and letting his kid eat dinner and giving him aspirin to try to help his hands. And like, Oh, I'm trying to teach you a lesson. Da, 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 da. And even like, you know, the angel told me that I, I was supposed to kill you. And that, that was like a really like kind of, but I don't want to do it because you're my son. Like you really kind of feel for this guy, and it's it's very emotional. And Paxton does a really good job of, of bringing that emotion out in 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 the in the audience. I would say. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. It's uh, it, I, it oh, man, yeah. His a retrospect, man. Everything lined up so well. I, I I haven't had that experience in such a long time, or maybe even ever. So I'm so happy that about that part. That's a, that was a rare cinematic experience, where you get to completely re redo the whole movie based on just the last five minutes. Masterfully done. Yeah. <clears throat> I think I think this. This movie and Memento are the only two movies that I can think of that really do that for me. That I've I've ever seen that really like because Memento I feel like changes your entire perspective on everything within that last five yeah. minutes, <clears throat> and I feel like it changes like it makes a lot of things make sense, and the entire movie makes sense because up until that point nothing really makes any kind of sense in in Memento, but. As much as I love Memento, I feel like Frailty does a better job of it. Because Memento, because of the weird nature in which Memento is, uh-huh. is told, it take you out sometimes. Like every time they switch, you know, every time they hit that like yep. restart button, so to speak, on his memory, there's a there's a small part of you that loses a little bit of interest in what's going on. 
Um, it usually quickly recuperates it with whatever happens next, but it's still like there's some small part of you that's like, oh, we're doing this again. Yeah, you know what I, I mean? I, I'm, I, I think the difference there, and I th- funny <clears throat> enough, I think both movies came out the same year or maybe a year apart. Memento is very cerebral, whereas Frailty, even though it has all these twists that comes at the end, the movie itself is a very classic, old-fashioned film in the sense that how it's made and how it's told. It really is just a super well done. It has the the it has the all the whole. It's it 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 doesn't feel like like if you hadn't told me or if I didn't know it was made in two thousand one, I would just say hey, it's a classic movie. It could really come from any era like that movie. Bill could have made in the eighties or seventies, mm-hmm. and if he had done it the same way, I would like okay. It's it's in in a sense it's almost timeless. The movie. Because of how it's yeah. made in a specific way. It's fair. So I I agree with you on that, Jason. All right. Uh, do you guys want to get into some favorite scenes, favorite lines, all of that good yes, jazz? Sir. Let's do it. Yes, sir. What uh, What do we want to start out? Scenes. At? Scenes, favorite scenes. Um, so I, I, it's not, I, I have kind of like a precursor scene and then I have like my main favorite. So I, I really love the intro of this movie, the eerie music and the, 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 the black and white or, or the, um, I'm trying to think of the, the, the tone of the, the photos and how the music's playing in the background. And I, I really dig that intro uh, of this movie. Um, nothing that really kind of pulls you in, but for me, like it kind of gives you that kind of an eerie vibe, and then kind of leads into the the movie itself. Um, but I, I really like that. But that's not my favorite scene. I just want to kind of throw that out there. Um, my favorite scene is actually the um, the the very end scene when everything is kind of revealed. You can kind of see the wheels clicking for you know the the FBI agent and. Um, Matthew McConaughey's character and the and the big reveal at the end and and it's it's such a good shock and awe of the the whole movie and and again we talked about how it brings everything together I really dig that scene of the movie um so that that's mine uh, this uh I feel like this movie's it's got so many. It's got so many scenes that are. I don't feel like. I don't know if I can pick one that's like the the best one for me. I I really enjoy the process of him digging the hole and the narration that McConaughey gives during that time period, where he says that he's like he refuses to pray and that he only like like just hates the whole time. You know what I mean? And I feel like it kind of showcases that maybe the 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 shitty part that you can because before before when the angel comes to Paxton as he said that he tried to get him to come to his kid and he didn't show up he just came to him and told him he was a demon before they actually reveal what he was he was told there's a part of you that kind of believes that he was told to kill his kid right. There's like some small part of you that kind of feels like that's where we're, that's the direction we're headed. 
And then after that, you get that whole digging scene and like him, like kind of wanting that, you know, you, you, he kind of plays into that evil, you know what I mean? It almost like feels like he's fueled by pure hatred. Um, and I feel like that's, that's, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a cool thing to see, especially from a, for a child um, actor to be the one that is like fueled by hatred. I feel like you don't see that super often. Um, so I feel like the kid that, that did play, um, what's his name? Is it uh, Edwin? Is that his name? What the fuck is a kid's name? Um, I feel like he does a really good job in that scene to kind of convey what's going on. And I mean, I think, I think you get it too when, like Adam comes back out and he's like, Hey, I'll help you dig. If you don't tell dad, you can kind of see that. Like he's not like Adam's not phased at all by what's going on between the two of them at, at all. Even though he sees what's going on, he barely really tries to convince his brother of anything, but he still loves him like so much and is willing to help him. I really like that whole sequence of, of scenes, I guess. That is a good sequence. Really good sequence, actually. Uh, mine, actually, I was debating on that one, but really I have to go with the scene that, uh, or the sequence that completely changed uh, my perception of the movie, which was the ending. So the the multiple plot twists and how it lined up everything. I, you've, you've seen movies with plot twists before, but one that actually puts the puzzle together so well now that's rare, so I have to go with that scene, the ending. Well, I don't even know if it really puts the puzzle together. It more or less like you think you have the puzzle put together, and then it completely like rearranges it for you. That's a uh, you know what? That's an even better way of putting it. Yeah, that's exactly what it did. It rearranged it for me, which then made everything make sense. Like right. before that, it just like none of this is adding up to what I wanted to add up. Why? Why is the sum of these parts like completely? not working for me but once that scene comes in you're like oh oh okay now i get now i see it you know yeah, it's now, just I like mean, the dad it, you're like oh i see now yeah if you had i mean as a movie goer or a movie watcher you're not happy like I, I like i said i understand your frustration with it um but at the end you're like you're super ecstatic because you're like god that was so such a good way of telling the story yeah yeah, I, that was what about what I was so happy about at the end. <sighs> I'm thrilled that you liked it. I'm Very glad happy I finally got that. to see it, and uh, I, <laughs> yeah, just just happy that I got to see it. Did Beth watch it with you? No, uh, she didn't actually get to see this with me. Oh, okay. okay. All right, uh, favorite uh, quote, gentlemen. I'll go first on this one, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Um, so this was not the line itself wasn't that special. It was just the way it was delivered. Uh, it just, it stood out to me and I was like, wow, what a perfect line reading. It was when, um, what is the older brother's name? Uh, Fen. <laughs> Fen. Fenton. How did I get Fenton, right? Fenton runs over to the sheriff and then the sh uh, he brings the sheriff home and the, they're at the dining table and they're talking back and forth and the sheriff just doesn't believe anything. And then finally Fenton goes, well, why don't we go to the shed and take a look at it? And the sheriff goes, well, just to appease the boy, why don't we go to the shed? And the way 
um the way uh, the father the dad delivers the line where he says uh what has to be done has to be done so kiddo does it have to be done he, it's it, it it's at once empathetic but also it's like a warning it's also disappointment he's doing so many things in that one line reading it, it even though i didn't know what the movie was going to turn out to be at that point i was like that is phenomenal and i don't know why he just the way he did it it's the performance was just so rock solid right there come no i it's a good scene you're absolutely right that scene is the uh, is uh, super awesome and that line you're you're right that line really does hit you and i, I think with the full weight of the movie, it makes that line move even more, even, even more. more tragic <laughs> and sad. And and you and and you suddenly see a lot, a whole lot more shades in uh, Bill Paxton's performance when you retroactively think about it. Hmm. Hundred percent. I think I think for me, the, my favorite line in this movie. Um, even though you kind of almost persuade me in that regard, I I, I want to say that just because of how much you crushed that that particular uh, uh, pointing out, I guess, of of yeah. what was going on in there. Um, for me, it's 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 probably right in the very beginning. Um, like I said, we, when I watched the first, like the little trailer bit, and I hear him like when McConaughey says. Um, I know who God's hand killer is. And then he like pauses and then he says, it's my brother. The way that he delivers the line in that particular situation, it's very, like I said, it's not, a, it's not crazy or anything like that, but it pulls you in so much in my, from my perspective anyway, like I'm at that point in time, I'm all in. I know that I'm about to buckle down and watch this hour and a half, two hours. Like nothing's keeping me from yeah. it. You know what I mean? Like McConaughey really crushed delivering that line. And then retrospectively, when you think about what he was saying there and how, why he said it the way he did, because there's a certain, like there's a sadness in his voice, but there's also like a, uh, like a, there's like a seriousness in his voice where he's just like, it's my brother. And he's like, I got to fucking turn him in because he's a shitty person. You know what I mean? But there's like a sadness in his voice because later on you realize that he fucking just had murdered his brother. You know what I mean? And he was a demon. And so there's just like a whole lot of weight that is put into that line later. And for it to be that good in the beginning to draw me in and then like seeing what it actually means later on, I feel like it's just super dynamic in that regard. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, I, I've heard uh, Christopher Nolan say this quite a few times about his movies, where he makes his movies, especially for the second viewing, because obviously he has all these very complicated plots or some plot twist or something that's going to happen. But so he wants his viewers to then be able to go back, like a movie like Prestige, go back and see the movie, and then suddenly see all those things that was right there in plain sight and frailty. Bill Paxton directed this movie in such a way that he 
he knew that the audience would be coming back to see the movie and suddenly they should be able to see all everything is suddenly revealed to you the second time you see it everything in plain sight it was right there all along right now <clears throat> so um my favorite quote is a conversation between bill paxton's character and fenton and he says you're my son and i love you more than my own life but you know what is funny about all of this fenton i'm afraid of you oh i remember that line i remember that scene it was such a good scene and it kind of almost gives the tell because when Paxton's dying, he leans out, Adam over to him, and I, and and you don't know what's said there, but I'm pretty sure that he told Adam that his brother was a demon. Huh. Yeah. And that and that and so but going back, how Paxton directed this, you go back and you, now that you've watched it and know the finish, you're like, oh, now it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now it makes sense because Paxton said that, that that Fenton would destroy him and he didn't want to believe him. And then it, it comes to fruition in the movie. So that line's always kind of stuck with me because he was kind of pouring his heart out to his own son. Like, I don't want to do what I'm going to do, but, you know, I'm afraid of you. <laughs> like a grown man's afraid of his own son. Like has because in, in watching it you know before you get to the finish you're, you're kind of thinking is, is he, he's really gone off the deep end he's afraid of his child has he allowed this you know god-fearing you know killing spree to to run rampant in his mind that he's now thinking that his own child's a demon and that he, he he's he's trying to kill his own son so it's it's very powerful in that in that delivery of that line in my opinion yeah 100 percent with you on that I think you're absolutely right there. I definitely think that uh, the uh, the weight of that that line is very severe. <laughs> but uh, I do think what he said, instead of it being like that Fenton's a demon, he might have said that. But I honestly think he told him to kill the other guy. Could have been. Yeah. Or he could have said both. I, I can see that 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 reading too. Or he could have told him what he what he did, like he because he touched him before he got hit in the chest with the axe. He could have told Adam what that guy did. But I mean, we're, it's all speculation because it's never revealed. So, um, moving on to favorite performance, and uh, I'll go first on this one. Um, favorite performance is Bill Paxton. Uh, I, I mean, it's. I love the. I love how Matthew McConaughey portrays his particular character, um, and he's got a lot of the, the dialogue and a lot of the, the narration. But I think that Paxton uh, does a really phenomenal job in this movie. Yeah, I'll keep it simple. It's Paxton for me too. Yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna third that one. Paxton crushes this movie. It's, uh, it's amazing how, how I mean, because this is only he's only directed two movies, um, and for him to 
do this great of job on his first movie um, as a director and then also crush it in, in acting in the same same breath. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, gentlemen. Ratings time. Viv, you had the distinction of watching this for the first time, so you give us your rating, sir. I'm going to give this movie... 8.5. Okay, I will uh I will give this movie a 10. Um I still like I said watched it again for the first time and or for the first time watched it again for the you know, fourth, fifth time and it still holds up even though it's almost 20 years old it still holds up it's so good. Um I just think that it's very well done, very well written. The cast isn't huge, so you don't have to, you know, pay attention to, to multiple storylines going on here. Yeah, and it's pretty simplistic in what it does, and it, the finish is so good. And like you said, Vivid, it brings everything together. It's 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 a really really good movie um, in that light. So I, I'll put it, I'll put a ten spot on it. I uh, I I was I was thinking I was thinking nine nine five. But the the when when we went into this discussion, but the more I've discussed it, the more I've thought about it. I, you know, I, I like I've said before, I place my 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 value on the movie, on how well I feel like it accomplished its goal, right? And <clears throat> I feel like what this movie set out to do, it did completely flawlessly. So I have to give it a ten. All right. All right. Two tens. and two tens. <clears throat> Not bad. Jason, close out the segment for us, sir. It has been a very fun discussion. I'm super happy with this uh, frailty discussion. Hope all of you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully, you guys all stick around uh, for the second segment, our get to know, know your cinema segment. Um, and we will be right back with that. Welcome back to Know Your Cinema Podcast. This is segment two. This is the get to know Know Your Cinema section of the podcast where we ask questions to each other and answer them. And then you get to know uh, some of us here on Know Your Cinema and, and get to kind of feel out your hosts and, and know some of our likes and dislikes. And uh, each of us will just ask one question and we'll uh, get this uh, party started right off the bat here. So Viv and Matthew, it is your question first, sir. Excuse me, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he just farted. Oh no, I moved the mic. It sounded My, like I, I, it was not a fart. I have a headset and when I move the mic. Alright, now it sounds like latex. What's going on at your house? Don't you worry about me, baby. <laughs> Coronavirus. <laughs> All right, so here's the question. All right, thank you, Cardi B. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think either of us ever imagined Devlin getting accused of being Cardi B. Well, he fucking quoted Cardi B, so 
Yeah, well, there it is. Spend too much time so my on question, TikTok now. I feel yeah, like I, 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 quote, I quote that. So here's my question. Movies have been around for 120 years. 100 plus years. Let's keep it simple. Simple math. I like that. Um, so still pretty fresh as an art form, but been around the block. So comparing it to other art forms, like say music, um, there are already established legends like Mozart or Beethoven or take uh, literature, you have Shakespeare. So these different art forms that have been around for a while, you already know the apex of the creativity that's possible within that space. So now if we take a look at films, um, it's coming of age, but do you think we have already seen one of the great uh, masters do their work or is it somebody that's yet to come? Um, I think that with everything, whether it be um, movies, baseball, pro wrestling, uh, anything, it evolves over time. So things get better, you know. Um, you know, we can talk about in, in movies, the directors, uh, you know, the first one that comes to my mind that was kind of like revered was Orson Welles. Yeah. And, you know, then we could talk about how Alfred Hitchcock changed horror movies. Um, mm-hmm. We can talk about how um, Francis Ford Coppola changed how movies were shot. Uh, and then Steven Spielberg. And um, we could talk about... Um, I can't even think of his name off the top of my head. Um, the guy, Scorsese. Scorsese. We can talk about Scorsese. Every generation, every you know, every in, in every kind of facet of art, everything evolves. So directors keep getting better. Um, I don't know if nowadays there are directors um, that will that will have that kind of peak as far as like being innovative or having an eye or a direction maybe because nolan's done such good work with his movies maybe nolan would 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 kind of fall into that category as being kind of revered in that way i don't know if he's literally nicest thing you've ever said about christopher nolan on this well no i mean i mean to be honest i mean it's one of those guys that a lot of people have have you know can can say like a recent director that people look at and think of like really good movies. I mean, he, I'm not going to sit here and say he hasn't put out a, a good body of work. I mean, we've all seen a lot of his stuff. Um, so, I mean, I can give the devil his due when need be. Um, now, as far as his casting, I'm not going to sit here and say his casting's amazing, but um, <laughs> his direction and how he, he has an eye for things, sure, I mean, that is the equivalent of, you know, evolution in, in the film industry. So I, I just don't know if this generation or our generation is going to see people like Spielberg or Coppola or Scorsese, you know, where there's, you know, it's like bang, bang, bang. No one's the only guy that comes to my mind. And I'm sure that's where this question is leading for Viv. So I got to kind of, you know, throw that out there for him. Um. You know what? Actually, yeah, um, I'll, I'll I'll wait. So, Jason, how about so, you? So, I think Devlin actually hit it pretty early. I think, I think, I think when we look at at movies, you and you, you let's let's look at all art forms, right? So, if you look at 
like like painting, for instance, um, there are different painters that are considered, you know, legends for their particular uh, period, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. No, that, that that's a good yeah. distinction. And so I think that, like, if we look at if we look at like like Picasso, for instance, my man is, which is shockingly not anywhere near as old as I thought Picasso was. That blew me the fuck away when I figured out that that dude like lived, you know, like not long ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that that blew me away because every time I heard about Picasso, I was assumed like he was like like old old you know what i mean like way fucking back in the day like shakespeare yeah. style old you know what i mean oh, oh, no. oh okay so you're off by centuries okay yeah, 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 yeah. like way the fuck off like it blew me away when i found out how how much you know like how current he actually was yeah um but i think that that's kind of one of the beauty, beautiful things about art because there could be paintings that took place during that same time period that if you put them alongside a Picasso could possibly, you know, reflect some of the same similar things. Um, okay. Well, th- so, you know what? I, I did not think of it in that, that way, but so subcategories within a domain. So you have uh, Picasso for cubism or you have uh, a Monet for expressionism or Vermeer for realistic paintings from the, you know, like Dutch painting period. So, okay. So, that so maybe we need to categorize it but that in in that manner right so when i think about film and i look at genres of film right the uh-huh. movies the the director that pops into my head as being one that i feel like will never be forgotten in his particular genre is hitchcock i feel like he hit he hit stuff so well and did had such a slew of of big deal movies at the time period and he almost crafted what horror was you know what i mean and, and still is so i feel like yes no, there were people did. before him <laughs> there, there is no answer right. he, he did he, he the modern right i mean there were people right there were people before him and there's obviously people after him that have done you know things with horror and arguably great things with horror. But I feel like Alfred Hitchcock is when you think about horror, if you're not thinking about Alfred Hitchcock, then you're not thinking correctly. In my opinion. Okay. Well, that's, that's uh, okay. I, li- I really like that. So I feel uh, like so when you, you look at stuff like that, I've that's, that's kind of kind of how I thought about approaching the question is because like, when it comes to um, music, then you know you've got you know your your Beethoven and and, and uh, various other composers, and then and then you come a little fo- more forward, and and you've got some legends like the Beatles. Um, whereas I feel like the Beatles are whether you like them or not, they're they're legends in of that caliber, in 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 my opinion. I feel like they're going to go down as people who were that big to music later on down the road, right? People are going to revere them in that same regard. So when we come a little more forward, one of the, 
uh, more modern directors that I feel like has hit the mark consistently. I do think Nolan is good, but I would actually give it to Fincher. I think that man consistently hits the mark with his movies and makes movies that um, constantly are necessary for discussion. So when you look at cinema as a whole later on down the road and we look at you, I think fight club is a movie that you're going to talk about. I think seven is a movie you're going to talk about. Um, so I think he has crafted some movies that um, lend themselves to future history books. Okay. Uh, in, in, in the oh, cinematic good... world. Yeah. Um, well, first thing I want to tap into is the Hitchcock reference. I think his impact might be even broader than just the horror genre because he crafted some of the cinematic language, like how to really build tension and suspense and scenes. I feel like filmmakers from all genres have utilized kind of his, uh, how, he, how he constructed scenes and how he used the camera his techniques, his vocabulary on how he shoots scenes has really been utilized from, uh, I think, everybody since since he came around. And he's he's kind of a template that everybody references, especially if you're making mainstream films. Everybody learns from him. So he, for sure, is going to be somebody who is still going to be referenced 100 or 200 years from now. It is a good question who from now is going to be in that pantheon, obviously, I want to be biased and say no, and I, and I do think that his body of work can claim to that. But the other one what, that was standing side by side with him for me was also Fincher. Fincher and Nolan have basically, well, you know what? You had to also put Tarantino into this category. Since the 90s, there has been very few directors whose name itself, the audience, and I'm not talking about cinephiles, just general audience would go, oh, I know who that is, right? There's only a few of them. You have the Tarantino, you have Nolan, and you have Fincher to a certain extent because they have such distinctive styles that is immediately recognizable, even as a layperson who only, I mean, watches a movie as a recreation, but it's not something that they study or something that they obsess over. But if they see it, even they can like instantly, recognize, oh yeah, I know what that type of, I know what a Fincher aesthetic is. I know what a Fincher type of story is. I know, you know, what the eye of Fincher, you know, you know what type of experience you're walking into, right? You have a certain high level of expectations. And for that, so movies like Zodiac, or like you said, um, Fight Club or Seven, these movies are, I think, still going to be referenced um, years from now. He, he And Fincher is really good at drawing out such good performances from his actors. Well, he's notorious for kind of being so exacting in his detail work uh, where he has like 30 or 40 takes for each scene until he gets exactly what he's looking for. So when you look at a movie like Gone Girl, you have people typically who would not, people you would not assume would make, give great performances or who 
rely on us on a specific like like let's take Tyler Perry in 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 Gone Girl. I think he's phenomenal in that movie. Mm-hmm. But I think part of that is also Fincher knows how to bring out a great performance out of an actor. And absolutely. Was that? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I think his real strength is at. And so when you have shows, and then I think he also kind of realized that movies have been transitioning so heavily into uh, uh, the superhero genre, and he could not really stay there that long because he still wants to do his adult film, meaning filmmaking that was more for adult audiences. And so that's why I think he transitioned to Netflix and places like that where he can do subject matter like Mindhunter, where he's still exploring these characters who are complex and dark and twisted, and he gets to still do that. So all of that is still there. But to answer the question, I, I still think the the one that's going to be remembered is probably still not here yet. I, I think, I, like I said, if, I, if we go back to what I previously said about different, uh, like the categories of things, I think yeah. when... Another one that I've I thought about mentioning previously, but I, I feel like I kind of almost have to now, is I, I think Spielberg is going to be one that is remembered as, whether he's a phenomenal, remembered as like the greatest of all time or anything of that regard. I think history is always going to remember him because he kind of created the blockbuster, which yeah. is kind of what, at least cinema in our time period was built on. You know what I mean? Um, And so if you look at it in that regard, whereas the Beatles created uh, to some extent, like uh, what would be considered the more modern rock movement by some, like uh, Spielberg created that blockbuster, which is that, you know, that over the top movie that still, is now dominating our box office constantly. Yeah, and what's great about him is he it's not just that he created the blockbusters, but he's the same person who's responsible for Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan and Emma Todd and Catch Me If You Can. So he also has those hidden gems that's like right alongside, not hidden gems, but they are prestige films if you want to put it that way. Mm-hmm. So he is a great, great director. Even Hitchcock once, like, I mean, Hitchcock kind of died right around the time that he was kind of coming into his stride as a Spielberg as a director. And he said that, look, I know how to make films in the formal way. But Spielberg, and he was a young kid at the time, looks like a natural, meaning like he was born with the camera in his eye. Like he, he, he directs like that's just something that he does every day. Like he was been doing that since he was a, he was a kid. So he was kind of born into the movies. And you can tell that how he directs, it's just so natural. Like it doesn't matter if he's doing an epic like Jurassic Park or he's doing a historical uh, piece like Schindler's List. Which is, what's crazy about that is he shot those movies back to back. He's the only director who can do multiple movies at the same time and they can be completely different genres. And I don't know how he pulls that off. It's hard enough to do one movie uh, at one time with so many things to keep track of, but he it's so ingrained in him, the cinematic language. He does two of those movies right back to back. And he's done that multiple times throughout his career. Yeah, and I feel like he's still, he's a, he's a name that when you 
hear, oh, there's a new Spielberg movie coming out, you're instantly like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to give that shit a chance. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, regardless of what the genre might be, whatever, you're going to probably give it a chance based on the body of work that he's built for himself. Yeah. And, and I mean, even you look at fucking, like, he did Animaniacs. You know what I mean? Like, the dude is just so all over the place with the things that he <laughs> had to do. And that's, I yeah. don't know, to me, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, man, that, that, no, that is a great body of work. Jeez. And then I thought Stick about Lucas, and then I was like, eh. Uh, it's i mean if nothing else that first star wars it carries a lot of weight but if he would have stopped after the indiana jones movies and then the first trilogy i would have been like yep that's a guy but then he didn't yeah oh well even that i think spielberg's direction kind of brings a lot to that right franchise well right Uh, exactly yeah, uh, but that Spielberg's from Ohio right too, so you know something about Ohio. I I feel like all the greats have some kind of uh, link back to Ohio. Ohio's amazing. Yeah, for everybody well, listening go. outside of Ohio, this is where it's at. This is where you should have been born if you wanted to do something great. Yes, and then you need to move away. That's the key. You have to be born in Ohio then move away. Exactly. Uh, all right. I, I, I think that was, uh, I, I really got what I wanted out of that question. All right. That was a good discussion. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Moving on to my question. And because I forgot my own question. Um, okay. Other than, um, other than dialogue and story, what is, what is one thing that appeals to you when watching a movie? Like, what is the one thing that, like, you you're looking for to kind of uh, kind of please you when you're watching a movie? Uh, for me, the big thing is world building. If if you can if you can if you give me a mediocre storyline but give me an amazing world that you're telling that story in. I'm so fucking hooked. Like, if you look at, like, uh, Pandora and the movie Avatar, I don't feel like Avatar itself is that great of a story. The acting's not bad. But the world that they that was crafted in that movie is so fucking interesting that I could watch it again and again and again because Pandora is so fucking magical and well-built. Okay, I, I like that world building. That's something that I've grown to love more and more. I know we've had a lot of discussions around world building, uh, but that specific uh, idea, like I've, that I've kind of been a late bloomer as far as this kind of starting to love world building so much. And now I see it everywhere when it's done well and when it's done by, badly. Right. And I mean, it doesn't have, not every movie that, that, that has, not every movie has to have excellent world building, but I feel like that if you do crush the world building aspect, even if you're lacking mm-hmm. in other categories, you can still have a movie that's worth watching. Whereas yeah. if you 
have a great story uh, and a shitty world building, that's also kind of true. Like, I, I've, like for instance, in this movie that we just watched in Frailty, I'm not saying that it was a shitty world building, but there wasn't a whole lot to it. There was, it was just back in the day, and that was pretty much it. You know what I mean? There was not a whole lot of things that really needed to be said. There wasn't a whole lot of interactions with like older vehicles or older things that needed to be said. Like, yeah, he held like a beer that was in an older style can and and they drove some older cars and stuff, but it wasn't like the world building aspect of it stuck out so much, but the story itself and the acting was great. Yeah. So I feel like if you can have any of those things, it was enough to know you're in the seventies. That's, it was just enough. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, whereas if you look at like, uh, like, uh, like the Godfather, the the Godfather's world building is is next to none in 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 the regard of of how it crafts um, this world of of the mob in the what is it the is it the fifties? Fifties, yeah. So it's just the the cars and the the. The, the the way Locations, they talk yeah. and the, the the how they dress and and just just the 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 small interactions the subtleties of it are what make that movie so amazing. So not only do you have in that regard, you've got a phenomenal story, you've got incredible acting, but then you have the world building on top of it. I feel like that is what it takes to make a masterpiece film. One hundred percent behind you on that statement. So for myself, um, besides dialogue, which I've started to kind of place lower and lower in my needs as far as what a movie should be doing great. Um, the thing that I am always looking out for is style, and uh, let me kind of uh, open that up a little bit as far as what I mean by style. So especially once you get to know a specific director and how they work, you get to see their personality through how they frame an image and what type of uh, what type of sound design they like, what type of music they like. So so let's take Fincher for example. He is very much a his framing is all super precise. Everything has to be in exact positions. Nothing has to be even a little bit off. So a good example of it was when uh, uh, Mark Ruffalo was in the movie Zodiac and they were doing this scene over and over again, which is typical. So like after the 30th uh, like take, he's doing the scene and then they yell cut and then uh, David Fincher and he, he's wondering if David Fincher is going to tell him something, give him some notes. No, he goes, walks right past him, goes all the way to the background and then fixes an extra who for him felt was not in the exact position he needed to be. And like, so that's how of an exacting director is and shows up in the style. That's what I call style of the Fincher style. Whereas in Nolan, what I'm looking for is he goes to, he has to shoot everything as much in camera as possible. Everything has been shot on film and it, and he will go to all those locations. He's not going to try and do anything on green screen. So for him, the texture of reality, that world building for him is all about how much can I do for real? The stories are going to be crazy and still I want to do it as practically as possible. And that gives a certain flavor of 
of, oh, that is a Nolan signature or like an Edgar Wright. His comedies are very much also hinged on how he edits. Uh, so if like, if you look like, uh, look at a movie like, uh, baby driver or a movie like um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world half the comedy is in how the editing works in that movie. And that is such a Edgar Wright uh, signature. I feel like that's, Edgar what, Wright, I, that's what I'm uh, I feel like Edgar Wright's like editing and comedy style kind of shaped modern comedy as it is in a way. If you look at like how YouTube comedy works, how TikTok comedy works, those smash yeah. cuts and the quick little quips and things like that. And then if you think about yeah. like memes and things like that, I feel like Edgar Wright really helped like push that. Uh, not, not that he necessarily crafted it himself, but like it's easy to see why his style still works so hard right now, because a lot of what he's putting on film is, the same type of stuff that we are imitating when we're making, you know, comedy TikToks or comedy YouTube videos or memes or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's it's perfect for the social media age. That kind of style translated over perfectly. He was, he kind of did that in quote unquote the formal film world, and then everybody's been using that for their comedies and. Whenever you do TikTok, some of the stuff that I've seen you do, some of the stuff I've seen other people do, it's like, oh, I can I can see exactly if you kind of pull the thread back, you can see Edgar Wright having done those specific types of edits in his movies. Mm-hmm. 100%. That's good. All right, Devlin. So Jason already went ahead and, and talked about world building. That's actually um, mine as well. I didn't want to interrupt Jason. He was on a roll there with his world building. So. Um, I, I, my bad, bro. What's that? No, you're, my no, bad, you're bro. good, man. I, I, I want to piggyback off what you're saying. I mean, for me, it's world building too. I, I love, um, the eras that I was not alive in. So seventies, eighties, nineties, I love old 1800s Victorian era stuff. And I love to see how the world mm. building is there. Cause I mean, it, movies are, movies are visual. And as much as they are, you know, a story, if you were watching a silent film, it, w- it wouldn't be as much, you know, with the audio, we would have to kind of pay attention to what's going on in the scene. So um, the, the the background, the world building and all that stuff is, is very important. And for me is very, like Jason said, very eye catching. And it's for me, it's a necessity. I have to have the world building around the story. So like, you guys have been talking about Fincher the whole time. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about Zodiac or we're talking about Seven. For me, like, Seven's very dark. It's always rainy. It just feels it has a very dark feel to it. Zodiac kind of has a little bit of both because of of how that time period in the 60s was. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's very... It's very good to have that type of, of world building, and Fincher does a very good job of it. Um, and, and Tarantino, of course, with the with you know the last movie he did, uh, it was it was oh, phenomenal so world building. The soundtrack, I mean, he did everything world building and plus more because you got visual, you got audio, you got all that stuff kind of wrapped into one. And, and I think that's what separates Tarantino maybe from Fincher and Nolan. And not saying that the, he's better or anything like that, but Tarantino is also a very audio based guy. So he throws in soundtracks and he throws in like little 
you know, little tidbits of audio that like make the world building a little bit better because, you know, we were watching a movie based in the sixties and, you know, they, when Brad Pitt went to the, went to his house, and he had to go around the drive through. There was that, that clip of like the intermission audio or the, the, the feature presentation audio on the screen yeah. of the, of the, uh, the drive through theater. And it was just, it was so subtle, but it was also something that, as a world building like it's 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 not needed but it was there and it made it so much more special even though it was kind of a throwaway scene so i think that the world building and try to say trying to pick it back up to jason um and add something is is a lot of things to be encompassed and i think that tarantino is a phenomenal job of incorporating the sound into it as well uh, fun fact on Tarantino, uh, when he does his writing, he actually has a whole library of vinyls of obviously music from all different eras and genres. And he goes through and selects a stack of music that is going to essentially be for that movie. And he's playing that when he's creating the scenes and writing the dialogue. So you can see how from the inception of the story, he he's the the music and the sound of the film is already there right at the start it doesn't come in later it's there from yeah the start. i mean it uh it shows in all his movies i mean it, all his movies have always had phenomenal soundtracks so i mean but like i said yeah. i think that like i said picking back off of jason uh the world building for me has to has to kind of encompass sounds as well i mean if there's we're talking about even i'll, I'll go away from tarantino we talk about like forrest gump we talk about uh, like the, the soundtrack for Forrest Gump and how like when we're going through the different eras of Forrest Gump, we're getting different, we're getting yeah. different music. We're getting Elvis. We're getting we're getting Buffalo Springfield. We're getting uh, rock and roll music as it goes further. So it 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 also kind of encompasses what's going on there too. So um, like I said, for me that that that's something big that I I like. So it's kind of like maybe audio world building, but at the same time the visual world building for me is is key. Oh, that's perfect. Um, Jason, like... it is your question, sir. Okay. <clears throat> My question is, what is a TV series that you would like to see made into a movie? And what is a movie that you would like to see made into a TV series? I'll go first on this one. So the movie that I would like to see made into a TV series, um, since Disney owns it now, I would like to see um, some some uh, Star Wars. I know we got Mandalorian, so that's kind of where it's going. But I'd like to see a little bit more diving into the Star Wars universe um, as a whole. No, I'm not saying just focus on like Jedi and um, you know Sith, but I would like to see some some standalone stories, maybe even some um, some characters that we didn't know about, kind of like Mandalorian. Um, but I think that would be kind of a, a great, great kind of series to go into, um, as far as movies to TV. But like I said, we're already kind of getting with Mandalorian, um, a movie, a, a TV series that I would like to see get made into a movie. So I was a big fan of the TV show Sons of Anarchy and the, the way that that series goes, you kind of pick up with. Um, the, the founder of the bike club's son, and you go kind of forward from there. Uh, but I, I feel like, because I, I know um, the writer was actually 
working on a prequel TV series, but I would like to actually see more of it encompassed into a movie where it talks about the formation of the club and like those first, you know, that first, uh, I mean, I know you guys haven't watched the series, but like the, 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 the war. I have seen every, I've seen, oh, you've seen the whole series. Okay. So you know about the war with the Mayans and stuff like that. And that kind of mm-hmm. encompassed the original, the first novel. Yeah, I, so. <clears throat> yeah. I don't think, I honestly think you're right on that. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with that one. I think uh, you don't necessarily need a TV series to showcase what's going on and the creation of that. I think it could be easily condensed into a movie and be really good. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm just I'm I'm really intrigued about the the formation of the club and and because if you watch the show as you did, you know the kind of the whole background and the sleaziness of the of the main characters of that show. Um, and I thought, well, that would be such a great story to tell, and we don't have it. We're just getting bits and pieces here and there throughout the seasons. Um, and then when you asked that question, I was like, man, that immediately, I was like, I think that would be a really good, uh, like, drama movie to portray on on film. Interesting. Uh, well, at some point, I'll, it does. Uh, do they have a series That's called Mayans? That's an offshoot also? Yes. of Sons. The Mayans okay. are actually the Sons of Anarchy's rivals at one point in time. Interesting. Okay, just, just curious. Uh, I, I I don't really have any familiarity with the. It's fantastic. Did you ever watch it. The Shield? Did you ever watch um, Kurt Sutter's um, The Shield? No. Um, no, I didn't. It, 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 the Shield was a really phenomenal. That was his first TV series, and it had uh, Michael Chiklis in it. And it was about a, a, yeah. a group of uh, bad cops. It, it's phenomenal as well. Sutter does some really good work, but I I really love Sons. I need to actually go back and watch all the, the whole series, but uh, it's a uh, it's it's phenomenal, and it's something that I would recommend to everybody. Okay. All right. Well, I'll keep that in the back burner. An opportunity might come up where I get to watch that, but I think I still have Sopranos. Yeah, is number on the one. That's, that's, before I get that's to any first because I know you'll enjoy that. Yeah. So for me, uh, let me go first from movie to TV series. Uh, I'm going to pull up Fincher again. So he did his version of uh, Stig Larsson's Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, mm-hmm. and I love that movie. I. And I know that it was supposed to be a trilogy, but since the movie did not make enough of the box office, they obviously the it never came to fruition. I feel like they could. I would want the Fincher's version of Girl with a Dragon Tattoo as a as a series, um, I, because there's so much in the actual books. I've read the books that they could really kind of dwell into if they had kind of went the long format. Okay. Uh, so that's from movie to. Uh, TV, and then the other way around, um, hmm, a TV show to movie. I just realized that I had two of them that was going in the same direction. <laughs> Go ahead and hit me with that one. Um, so the other one was actually, it's actually happening. I When I did research, I realized that they're actually already making it, which was, we just watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially when we were doing the reviews, I started digging into all the backstories of uh, Middle Earth. And there is 
a whole lot of backstory, a lot of world building that Tolkien did for this. Uh, a lot, lot. I mean, I'm. It's it's books and books worth, and there's so much lore uh, that goes back like thousands of years. Ev- everything from the creation of Middle Earth, uh, obviously up to the Third Age, and then beyond that. So, and then I found out that Amazon is actually producing the series, and they are putting a billion plus dollars into the series. So, I'm excited to see what they come up with. Fucking Amazon with their infinite money. Yeah, no, they're literally like, here's a billion dollars. the guy who has Amazon packages at his door every day. I'm not saying I don't understand how they got it. I'm just saying, hopefully they continue to use it for good by creating these types of shows that we hopefully like to see. Yeah. Because well, to know, be fair, I, Amazon I think... has like their TV series and stuff. Like a lot of people sleep on their TV series, but they craft some of the most well done TV series. Like Netflix puts out quantity all day. Netflix for quantity, but I feel like Prime really has some fucking quality shit. I can I can get me. I, I think they are going after the HBO model where the HBO is also very much about quality or quantity and I feel like Amazon is trying the same thing which is smart though I think I think that's what, like I like you and I both like watching uh, marvelous Mrs. Maisel that show yeah. is incredible mm-hmm. like where we ended with the, the third season I cannot wait for season four. Like yeah. there's another show I just got into called Expanse, which really good too. But again, Amazon Prime. Well, upload, so. upload. Have you seen that one yet? You know what? You told me about it. I haven't started yet. Oh my but, god, uh, yeah, no, so it's, it's good. So um, but anyway, I don't want to get. I just don't want to suck Amazon's dick on that. Um, what was your? What would be your? It's it's. I was just going to say it's fine. It's worth a trillion dollars. Yeah. Um, uh, what was the I, I, you know what I don't have an answer to the other one there's no TV series that you would like to see a movie made of not one that you're currently uh, watching or anything you know what no I'm going to go back in time I'm, I want to have a movie made out of Battlestar Galactica no Bears. I was a huge fan of that series. Bears <laughs> and uh, Battlestar Galactica. Who? Bears beats Battlestar Galactica. I, I'm I'm sorry. I, I maybe I'm not nerd enough to understand your reference. It's an office reference, you fucking ass. That's why. That's why oh, I wasn't funny. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Oh, I did. All right, I didn't say all that, Jason. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I got you. I got you. I got you, Jim. All right, all right. Points for okay, you. Okay, thank you. Uh, Portlandia has a great sketch with Battlestar Galactica, if you 
Well, you kind of have to see the show too. Uh, this whole sketch is about they start the show and then before they know it, they have quit their jobs and all they're doing is just watching Battlestar Galactica. The sketch just goes on like that. Okay. Um, right, there you have it. Did you watch? Did I watch Battlestar Galactica? I don't think so. I think I tried to watch Doctor Who at, right after Bat- Battlestar Galactica, but the tone was so different. Yeah, you made from, me watch the first. For there's something. a movie, right? I don't know if there's a movie. Maybe there's. A, I think the first episode is like uh, almost like the length of a movie. It's like an hour and a half long, or like two hours yeah, or some yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah, it is the first episode of that movie. Yeah, you had me watch this, and I watched it, and it was pretty good. But no, no, there is a movie. There's a there's a movie. It's not the first episode. Well, I don't talk. I'm, I don't. If you're talking, it about is the, the first. Series, no, it is I've the first episode. It's the it's what starts yeah. it all, but it isn't technically part of the series. It is. Oh, interesting. According to fucking this thing, but I know you've seen it because you were the one that told me to watch it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm referring to. Uh, but they technically don't count it as part of the series. They technically create has it as a, I believe they crafted it's a mini series. Oh, did not know that. I think maybe it was just so popular that they expanded to a full, full yeah. run series. The Battlestar Galactica in 2003 it has two episodes, and that is the ones that you had me watch. So it's not the TV series oh, which nice. launches in 2004. It is uh, in 2003, they put out a mini series, which was just two episodes long. And the first one's an hour and a half long. And so is the second one. So it's like a total of three hours. And I watched the first one and it was good. But I, you know, I'm going to watch, I'm going to go back and watch the other one. Oh, wow. I'm in now. I'm in. I'm diving both feet deep into nerdiness. But you're correct. The tone of Doctor Who is drastically different. From that of that of Star Galactica. However, I still think everybody uh, should watch Doctor Who, uh, period, because it's fucking phenomenal. Except for it's a really slow burn in the beginning, like I've said. Yeah. All right. Sopranos from Devlin, uh, Doctor Who from Jason. Got it. Jason, what would be yours? Um, my picks are so. From TV show to movie, um, there's been talks of this happening uh, even while the TV show was still airing. I hope that it does happen. Um, And that is the six seasons in a movie cry from Community. Uh, They hit the six seasons and they've always they've been talking about the movie ever since but there's no yes it's happening yet so that's my tv series to movie i want to see that played out i will I, the way that the series ended isn't bad by any means but i think the movie could possibly make it even better okay especially if they bring back troy which might be a little hard Okay. Well, oh, don't don't tell me anything because I haven't seen six season yet. So that's uh, I'm I'm gonna be working my way to it. You know what? He was on uh, the panel when they during the 
when they all did like a Zoom call together, and they seem to be doing well. Yeah, he's just very much his own person now. Like he's not just a regular comedy actor like he was. Like he's drastically different from who he was when he started doing Community. Yeah, as a comparison, he's now Will Smith status. I mean, in 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 some sense of that word, yeah, he's 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 superior in my opinion strong. in some aspects. Talent wise, I can see I can see where you're getting at for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, his writing chops are phenomenal. His acting chops are phenomenal. His music's amazing. Um, I don't think that I can say that fully about everything that Will Smith does. Now, I'm not hating on Will Smith by any means. I absolutely love the guy. But you just need to get jiggy with it. Right. That's the thing. I think that's the I think that's the big one. Like if you if you look at Childish Gambino versus Will Smith's music, I'd rather listen to Childish Gambino all day. Okay. I'm, I'm, I, I love them both, so I'm not going to even pick. Um, so the other way around, this might be cheating, uh, but I'm going with it anyway. Um, so the movie that I'd like to be seen made into a TV series um, I would also like an offshoot, but technically this started out as a book series and was made into a series of movies. So I don't know if that technically counts or not, but I'm going with it anyway. I would love to see the Harry Potter series, but the first time Voldemort was in power, uh, his rise of power and up until. Spoilers, uh, folks. Spoilers for people is... who have not seen the movies. Thank you. No, it's not. It's not a spoiler at all. You know, you know that he rose to power, and that Harry was able to defeat him with the in the very beginning. It's the it's the beginning of the movie. Baby, right? He was able to defeat him, and then he went to attack his parents. Well, yeah, he said they said that he was a he was a big force, and he was killing a bunch of muggles. He wasn't like the president of wizards, but he was still. A powerful evil dude. They say that in the very beginning of the, the movies. And both of the ones that you've seen, all I, all I, they've all led I you to believe that he was a very powerful, powerful wizard. I didn't know that he had risen to any kind of power in that way. You know what? They don't actually say all that part. I, I think I think Dylan's right about that. No, because he had he get... had followers. He had. He, I mean, did they make that clear? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that. I feel like that enough shows that he had some. He had risen to some sort of power. You don't just get followers and be evil. Like it's not like you don't just you you don't just start off with followers and being evil. Like then every. I'm not saying that. Maybe I just evil person that in the dialogue. I'm just saying like they, that what I'm hearing. It just sounds like a spoiler. I know it's not too much, but I'm it's like, not too much of a. It's, I, it's, I, gotta, I mean, you guys, are, you guys are yeah. talking about. You guys are it's talking. Not a spoiler. Bring yeah, he's fine. He's fine. Okay, yeah. but that's what I would like to see. No. I would like to see pre Harry Potter's situation that the the uh, the 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 James and Lily of it all, and oh, okay, I got you. Or from the other 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 standpoint. You know what I mean? It could be the the dark side version of it. I'd be okay with that also. 
um, again, um, a world that has a lot of possibilities because there is a lot of open-ended backstory that still needs to be filled in. I just hope that if she does it, though, if, if it was to happen, I hope that she gets somebody who really, really knows what the fuck they're doing and can kind of keep her in line a little bit because I feel like uh, Harry Potter series, absolute magically just fucking phenomenal. But then when we go into the Fantastic Beasts, shit gets a little hazy. She does not know how to write a screenplay. I'm just going to flat out say that. It is not the same thing as writing a novel. Now, this might be an advantage for her if she goes to a TV series because she has time, just like a novel, to really flush out what she's trying to do. She's good at mapping stuff out and making sure that she has a full story. But when you have to condense that into two hours, she completely falls apart. 100%. Could not agree with you more. So that's, that's, that's where I feel. That's where I fall. Nice. Oh. All right, gentlemen. So those are those are our questions. Those were that was a good discussion, guys. Ladies and gentlemen. Are we ready to move on to segment three? All right. I'm ready. Hope yes. We'll be right back with segment three, the wheel of movie fates. All right, welcome to segment three of know your cinema podcast so this is a segment where we will spin a giant ass wheel and the wheel will tell us what movie we're going to watch next week jason always gets the honors of spinning the wheel but before he does he will introduce the movies that are on the wheel jason take it away i will spin this giant ass wheel (laughs) big ass wheel big ass uh, so, on this giant-ass wheel, there are ten spots. Each of these ten spots represent one movie. Uh, nine, sorry, nine of the ten spots represent nine. a movie. Nine of the ten nine, spots nine, represent, nine, nine. <laughs> represent a movie. Uh, three that I have not seen, three that Devlin has not seen, and three that Vivin has not seen. Uh, the tenth and final spot on this wheel represents a fan pick. Uh, selection. That is where uh, you, the fans, vote at home on our social medias. Uh, again, that's facebook.com slash KYC podcast at KYC podcast on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Uh, those polls open up immediately after we record this. So before this episode actually opens to the public, we will have ran the poll if it does happen uh, on this episode. So if it did not happen on this episode, you want to be sure that you vote in the next time that it does happen. And it does happen. Um, So you want to follow us on at least one, if not every single one of those uh, platforms, because uh, I'm going to be honest with you. If uh, you voted on every single one of those platforms, you could get four votes and I wouldn't be, I would be none the wiser that it was uh, the same person voting four times. So, uh, if you follow us on all those platforms, that's the way you get multiple votes. Uh, <clears throat> so, without any further ado, the movies that are on the wheel. Three that Devlin have not seen are Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Frozen, and Social Network. 
The three that I have not seen are JFK, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and Goodfellas. The three that Vivin has not seen are Chasing Amy, Ready to Rumble, and we are replacing Frailty, because we just watched it, with Devlin. Major League. Major League. So, without any further ado, speak now forever. Hold your peace. The wheel is being spun. All right. Super excited about this one. We are watching Ready to Rumble this week. Um, super pumped to watch this movie. Oh, I've not man. seen it in a long time. Literally think I might go upstairs and rent it right now to watch. Viv, I, I'll be honest. If you crap all over this movie, I will not even be in the worst way mad. Because, um, it, I mean, yeah, it, no, me, I to me, it. this is a fun, this is just a fun movie. And it's not a, a cinematic masterpiece, but man, it's goofy and funny as hell in parts. But it's super, super, super dopey. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm you're not gonna, you, you're I'm not gonna laugh going into it. I just am. Okay. No, no. Thanks, thanks for primer. Thinking like this is the greatest movie of all time. You're gonna be like, well, that was a movie I watched. Yeah. <laughs> I expect I expect a pretty pretty low rating when, when we come back. So I'm just I'm thrilled to watch this movie um, and tell some stories about watching this movie from back in the day um, and giving some insight into wrestling a little bit on the on the podcast. So all right, perfect. And uh, for those of you this who's this might have been their first episode or, or only listened to a few episodes and don't really know that much about us, Devlin. Uh, it has been a uh, pro wrestler for how many years? Fifteen. Uh, this is my this is my seventeenth year. At technically, if I was still wrestling. I'm not wrestling at the moment, but it was, would be my te- technically my seventeenth year. I've been in the business. I mean, I still know people and stuff like that. So, seventeen years in the business. So, next week we are discussing a wrestling movie uh, on the podcast. Uh, I find it always a joy and a treat to talk wrestling with Devlin because it's like it's one of my favorite things in the world to hear somebody talk about something that they're passionate about. And um, so <clears throat> if you don't like Ready to Rumble, but you want to hear some good stories, definitely tune in next week because I'm sure you will hear some some very interesting wrestling stories from Devlin. So oh, I'll tell you a lot of stories about this movie. Cause I've, I've actually asked wrestlers that were in this movie about this movie. So I have some, I have some, uh, some good stories coming from that one. So, uh, yeah, if nothing else, that's what I'm Yeah, Yeah. No, Viv, like I said, I, I'm not, I, I don't expect much out of this movie for as far as ratings go. I hope you come back with like, you know, this was really fun. It was super stupid, but it was super fun. And I give it a decent rating. I hope that's what happens. But I'm not setting my expectations that high. Yeah. Okay. We because well, we didn't put this on the wheel stories. for you to be like, oh, this is the greatest sports movie of all time. Blah, blah, blah. We didn't do that. We did that because we want you to watch this goofy ass movie. <laughs> That's a good enough reason. And I want I well, the main reason I put this on the fucking wheel uh, was because I really like hearing Devlin talk wrestling. So. That's the whole. That was my well, motivation behind. In, in all reality, we have another movie we could put on the wheel for you since you've never seen it, and that's the wrestler. That's true. 
So we we're gonna have two buy opportunities, and then but there, there's a ton of wrestling movies out there we could we could put on there. But I'm not trying to bombard us with wrestling. This is a movie podcast, so uh, yeah. But I am looking forward to watching it for the fucking like hundred fucking time. So that's awesome. I know I I love Oliver Platt. So I, the, most things he's ever touched is gold in my eye. Oh well, that itself has uh, raised the bar for me. I. I really like Oliver Platt. Oh, you're gonna love this. Okay. It's very Oliver Platty performance. Yeah. Say no more. Yeah. That's that's good enough for me. All right. Well, gentlemen, I think we've come to the end of episode 37. Uh, I think it's been pretty good. Uh, Jason, as always, take us out, sir. As always, uh, we absolutely love that you guys are listening to this because without you guys it would as i've said before just be a a long phone call that the three of us have every week um so i really appreciate the fact that uh that you guys are all listening to this uh podcast and supporting us and uh for those of you that have been here and listened to all the episodes and stuff like super appreciate that that's a super cool thing uh, means the world to each and every one of us. And we hope that you had as much fun listening to it as we did uh, making it. <clears throat> um, as always, we uh, like to show our gratitude in a, a slightly different way, perhaps, than many on this podcast. And uh, at the end of, of every episode, we like to tell our fans to go fuck themselves. And we mean that with the most love that we possibly can so um, with all the love in our hearts go fuck yourselves yeah go fuck yourself Viv. all right have a good night guys you fucking pansy ass good night Viv. go shit yourself <laughs> good night go shit yourself, Viv. Hey, go sit yourself. <laughs> bye guys we love you we'll see you next week